So welcome to the next part of our closing. Uh, we thought we'd uh, break with tradition. Tradition is we usually give some closing talks. We figured you've heard a lot of talks. <laughs> so so we're going to do a little different style. And as a frame of reference, a couple of nights ago, Pat mentioned the two truths that really make up all of reality. And one truth being uh, this ultimate truth of what we all are, this awakeness, this radiant, shining, loving awareness. And the, that's the ultimate truth. The relative truth is really how uh, awareness plays out in this temporal world, in this world that appears to be dualistic, this world that appears to be of self and other. How does it play out? And what we get is the truths are absolutely inseparable because awareness plays out in form, in the play of form, and the more awake we are, the more connected we are to true nature, the more that play will express itself through love and compassion, generosity, creativity. And as we go through the day, the more we pay attention to the moment-to-moment particulars, the more we reconnect, we have that remembrance of what we are. And the reverse, of course, works too. Um, If we go through the day and there's... um, you know, stealing and raping, pillaging, plundering. We can't just sit down and have a nice, tranquil meditation and experience that openness and wakefulness. And if we have meditated and experienced and touched into that presence, we're less likely to go and, you know, pillage and plunder and rape and so on. So you get the idea. They're entirely related. So what we wanted to explore, maybe as a kind of group inquiry, is here we are, we're at a, uh, a very poignant transition point where we're shifting our forms and we have the opportunity to bring more intention and consciousness to the play of day-to-day life in a way that continues to deepen awakening and serves others. So how, do, how does that happen? You know, what will help us with that remembrance, with that presence in our days? How do we bring it alive? And so what we'd like to do is ask you to bring up whatever inquiry you have about that, what you wonder, and uh, we'll just, you know, we'll just explore it uh, as you bring it up and see, you know, see what it is that for all of us can be some uh, guidelines help us live it. Law's got a mic, so if you, anyone, you know, just to kind of consider anyone that has a question about going home and bringing the practice home, uh, this is the time. Uh, Good morning. I actually have um, two questions related to practice, not so much with what you were just speaking to, um, if that's okay. Uh, one relates to what you were talking about last night, Jonathan, with compassion. Um, and the question that arose for me are things that I've done in the past. The example you uh, had with the, the person in the market, and so it brought to me things I had done in the past, which I feel uh, not so good about and don't know these people necessarily anymore or where they are to give my own amends to them. 
um, and I've you know worked on sending them loving kindness and myself forgiveness and compassion but still find some of that beat up you know like I can't believe I really wasn't so nice in this situation or did what I wish I hadn't done so how to continue to bring that compassion when there's still kind of that beat up going on um, that's one question um, and I can hold for the second you know if there's time so your, your question is around sort of like letting go sort of like forgiveness toward yourself around an event from the past my understanding is that forgiveness is a slow process that it's, it's very rarely just kind of like that where it really happens and when we're cultivating will, you know, concentration, that really calls forth, you know, effort. Compassion actually, what, what compassion calls forth is patience. And so it's a very, a very organic process. That, and I think it's helpful to remember that the, the antidote to that is compassion. And the only way that you can cultivate a field for compassion to arise is patience which is usually the last thing we have available for it (laughs) yeah thank you um thank you for for that that was very helpful um then this the second question has to relate to um you know practicing when we go back to our our work lives and our daily lives um and i find what's challenging are people who um, you know don't necessarily pause, who who aren't mindful, and although I try to take that pause and react mindfully, I kind of get then caught um, in their energy and then go to that reactive place. Although I like have the skillful means not to, and and for a little while I'm good, and then you know and then I start getting caught again. So how to work with you know the rest of the world that's not practicing, you know. <laughs> That, that is the big question, right? You know, I was listening recently to, a, uh, to the, the series of talks, uh, Rick Hansen on Heart of Compassion, and he was talking, I believe, to uh, Danny Siegel, who's written a lot about parenting and being with children, and, and he said um, something that's very helpful, that sometimes, you know, we need a parent timeout. So I think in, in some cases when it's possible, you may need to just back away from that situation. You know, take a pause if it's possible to just really literally um, remove yourself from the situation, even if it's for a few moments. And then in those moments, you can reconnect. You know, you can reconnect to the breath. You can reconnect, if possible, to, you know, other sensations in the body that are coming up from this reactivity. And then, you know, possibly come back into the situation. If you know ahead of time that you're going to be in a situation where, you know, habitually you get caught, it may be helpful just to do that that before going into a meeting or if you know, you know, your mother-in-law is coming for a visit to just really, um, you know, have have the resolve be a little bit more juicy and, and passionate. And, um, and then, you know, ultimately it's, um, it, it's, a, it's almost the same answer as Jonathan just gave about patience and, you know, with ourselves and trusting, trusting our intention, you know, trusting our intention um, 
that it can be very powerful. We don't always, it doesn't always manifest directly in action right away, um, but not to underestimate the power of just really being that our intention, to be kinder, to bring, you know, more patience to a situation or to an individual. So um, I was just jotting down some themes that are coming up for me, and they seem to be related. I'm not quite getting it yet, but the, the question came up a couple times. The thought came up a couple times this week. The question, what would best serve my highest purpose? And that's a fairly new, the serve word is a fairly new word for me. Um, so it was coming up when I was going off into big decisions in my life. But as I'm sitting here now with the question about going home, um, and I realize, I, I remember writing on my calendar before I left work last Friday, do not have to finish everything the first day I get back, you know, something like that. <laughs> I said, let me just put it on my calendar because it'll remind me. And I think actually this question can be used for that too. So what would best serve? Because I know that what would best serve me as you know, the worker is actually you know, a calm, mindful, deliberate, intentional person. But that's not what happens usually. You know, I go back and those 250 emails just feel like they have to be read, and they don't. So really, so then, and it ties into another big, big, big thing for me this week, which is really remembering who I am. And I, I hit that level I've never hit before in terms of touching, ah, okay, I really do see something now that I have not ever felt in my body before. So I think they're quite related. So it's like uh, I have to take the truth of who I am into everything I do because there are a lot of bad habits that, you know, that I sort of let go on because I'm not really valuing what I can bring as much as, I, as, much as is the truth. So that's the constellation of stuff that I'm working with. But I think, ah, so the morning practice... I am, you know, I, I want to really practice remembering who I am. I mean, that and bringing it into my day. It's big, really big. So thank you. I'm uh, going to struggle when I get home, I think, with the uh, being in the world and... Politics <laughs> and the election, and I feel like um, policies are important to the people that I work with in my job. And uh, but before I came here, I heard myself saying, "I hate blah blah," you know. I hate, you know. I was getting all wrapped up, and, and the question is how to to be in the world and be passionate about um, getting the best for the people that that you care about and uh, being true to yourself and not being drawn into the media and the, the hate and the, it, uh, it just 
I can't, you know, I turn it off, and then I try to sit quiet. But it's just really hard to care and, and then to put it aside or something. Thank, thank you for that. I think um, a lot of us struggle with that razor's edge of practice and passion, devotion uh, to others, to causes that we feel are important is part of our responsibility to humanity. We may or may not be misguided, but we do the best we can. We contemplate situations, make our choices, and then we act. Now, where the razor's edge come in, comes in is uh, the tendency that we have to make someone who feels differently, thinks differently, the other. And we know historically what happens when there is that separation that is not bridged from just disagreeing with someone, making them the other, demonizing that person. That's the slippery slope that can lead to torture, genocide, slavery, etc. So as practitioners, it behooves us to watch that edge when we start leaning in that direction. doesn't mean that we're any less passionate or less active about what's important to us, but that internal exploration and contemplation when that anger is arising, when that sense of determining someone as evil as other, that's a really important point of inquiry. You know, I think in my own uh, exploration of this, <clears throat> it's been very interesting. I kind of I love this part of the practice. Um, I don't want to mention names, but former presidents that I've had a uh, problem with um, uh, in the exploration of that person's history, their, their situation at home with their parents, their, the causes and conditions of their life arose real compassion, genuine compassion. Doesn't mean that I agree with policies. But there's compassion there. Same thing over the last number of years working with um, particular kind of cultural manifestation here in the United States around ownership of weapons, etc. Um, uh, my, explo- my exploration there uh, has also led to deeper understandings, which leads to compassion, with do- but doesn't mean that my idea of what's appropriate policy is any different than it was before. But I'm, I'm, I'm away from that edge of bad guys, good guys, that kind of stuff. So it's a very interesting part of our practice. And in a culture so divided like ours, um, I think you'll find it a really interesting and rewarding practice if you take it on. So thanks for that question. Um, I I, want to add on. I completely um, agree with uh, 
what Pat said, and I'm so glad it's in the room, because it's such a big deal. I mean, look what, when we say, what are we going home to? We're going home. We, we can't just pluck ourselves out of the cultural milieu, and it is so uh, adversarial and toxic and mean-spirited and so on. How to, how to relate is such a big deal. And um, I have gotten trapped so many rounds finding myself, you know, just... Ra- feeling rageful, bitter, angry at certain people that I had consider part of what keeps us going and being at war, you know, whatever it is I'm against. And so I just want to share one, another strategy. One, I mean, having compassion for the unreal other is critical. Sometimes the starting place is to explore our own reaction first. And I remember when we were entering, the, um, we were about to attack Iraq, and I was just, just going crazy with it. And um, you know, just the idea of, you know, I could just see it was going to just lead to other cycles of violence and so on. And I was really going nuts and just feeling rageful towards the Bush administration and other um, political leaders that uh, were furthering us in that direction. Every time I'd read the newspaper, I could feel my body going nuts with it. And um, I started this practice where I'd read the paper less, (laughs) but I would read something that, or or hear something that would trigger off the aversion. And I, and I, I just pause and sense, okay, recognize it, allow it, let it be here. And then I sense, well, what, what's under this, you know, anger? And under the anger was fear. You know, I was just afraid of what was going to, the papancha, the proliferation of what was going on and how many people would suffer. And then I would say, okay, yes, be with that, open to the fear, open to the fear. And underneath the fear was grief for so much loss. I mean, just the loss of, of lives and the devastation of, of um, just of cultures and peoples. And I'd say, okay, yes, be with this, be with this. And underneath the grief was this love for life, this care about life. And if I could trace it back underneath that hatred and anger towards the unreal other that I was targeting to that care, then my words and my actions could come from a place that wouldn't continue the karmic cycles. And I feel like to create politics comes with this sleazy vibration in our minds but it need not, it's just a neutral word in the world that we really want to be part of creating together um, we need a politics that comes from mindfulness and respect and compassion I'll just add one very small piece to this is that um, at that time there was a, a lot of activity for, in the Buddhist Peace Fellowship and I remember one particular demonstration at the White House where um, rather than, you know, like fist against the sky, faces, you know, you know, with hatred towards the enemy, there was, it was this very prayerful demonstration, children and, and adults and posters, and they basically said, you know, please spare the lives of and had pictures of everybody it had american military and it had iraqi women and it had it just children it just had pictures of everybody that we were holding in care and we got we all got arrested but the police were 
the police were, there was a lot of um, ministers and so on with us, and at one point one was being loaded up into the paddy wagon, and the police joked with them. He said, oh, you know, white-collar crime, you know. <laughs> I mean, they were, they were, the energy was so sweet. So we can act from a place of love and care, but we have to get down to it. So it's, I feel like it's so important that the question's in the room. That, you know, how are we relating to all this? Are we shutting it out and numbing? Are we completely engaged in our own, you know, feelings of, of anger and our rightness? Or can we be part of planting seeds for um, a different kind of spirit that holds it? Um, um, this is about um, something I'm coming home to. Um, I have a friend that I is in the hospital, and we just found out it's much worse than we thought. And um, the other night you said um, something about just accepting how life really is. Um, And um, as it is. And um, that made so much sense to me. But I also, there is a big part of me that doesn't accept that. Um, and I d- my mom just got out of the hospital and um, I was very fierce when she was in the hospital um, advocating for her and sort of not accepting what and I think that actually was helpful so I'm not uh, with my friend I, I want to somehow I want to somehow say I do and don't accept this. First, I'm sorry for all that you've gone through. And it kind of brings me back to kind of what Anne was saying around that question of how do I serve? And there's something about about taking that that inner stance of service where the kind of the I and mind can fall away and that you can be fully present with an open heart. We all encounter sickness, old age, and death. And uh, when I've encountered that in my life, I kind of use a little phrase for myself of, of wholehearted cooperation with reality as my intention. But that service may mean being a very strong advocate it may mean being fierce and protective and it may mean finding a graceful way to to surrender to what's unfolding so it's a very very deep inquiry as you are kind of monitoring what's happening but also how you're holding it to really be in those elemental questions of what's happening now what am I feeling now can I be with it and how does this want me to be with it which may be for you to take a time of quieting or maybe a time for you to step up and be, be a fierce advocate. I think those questions can help to really open up your own intimacy with how to be with such a, such a challenging time in your life.
So my, um, my issue comes around, my intention when I came here was to create a clearing in my life. I've got this sense inside me that I need a big pause. I've been kind of going on. Fast forward for about five years since my, my son died uh, about four and a half years ago, and then my father was sick and he died. And lots of things have been happening, and I sort of pushed myself back to work. I'm a therapist, so I'm sitting with suffering. And I was doing pretty good with it, and so lately, the last month or so, I've had this big, strong message too. So there's kind of this inner message to pause and so much shame around it. Like, keep going. So I'm in this battle. And I, I mean, I kind of know what to do about it, but I guess it's just about more forgiveness and more pausing and I just wondered if there was any other wisdom about knowing what this most needs is like a really lot of care and gentleness. When I was sitting here in meditation, I was kind of envisioning, Tara asks the question, what, what, what would you want? How would you like to see yourself? And I could kind of see myself being more centered and calm and compassionate and kind of this image of me arising in the morning and taking my time and actually saw each detail of how I would like to live my mornings. And I can do it. I have a choice. And yet I choose to push myself. And it's so frustrating. Just saying it out loud sort of helps because I do want to commit to tenderly getting more intimate with life. What's right here, which is a deep need that I have to be with myself and Yet I keep running from it. So I don't know if that's a question or just kind of a reflection. But I was kind of real stoic all week. And then yesterday it just sort of started to come up that that I still have a lot of grief. And I still have a lot of sorrow. And uh, I'm also moving next summer far away from where I've lived for 30 years. It's a huge transition, leaving two of my kids behind but going towards one. So um, a lot of changes, and I need, some, I need some gentleness with that, and I'm having a real hard time giving myself that gentleness. Just before we move on, um, I'm just wondering if you just, I think you named it, that it's really uh, your intention, and just to name it out loud, and just to take a, take a pause right now, and sense that uh, your friends here in the Sangha are bearing witness and you've just named out loud something that you can sense on a soul level you need. You need to have that clear space to let what wants to unfold unfold. Just let the place, the sacred space and the Sangha help to hold that. So as we continue with the questions and so on, you can just let that in some more. Okay? Yeah, thank you. Uh, 
Yeah. This week we've been practicing um, tranquility, calming, and um, touching into the ultimate reality. And I'd like to uh, have some suggestions on how to bring that home with me to continue on. Uh, I just want to uh, allow myself to um, be in this tranquil state. I don't have to go back to work. I'm retired. So, <laughs> okay. That would be nice. I'm not sure it's possible. Um, give it just the nature of reality. Um, the nature of this reality there, we expand, we contract, we expand, we contract. As we train our nervous system, our parasympathetic system, um, we will, over time, have more and more of a default resting in a kind of open acceptance. But it's, uh, it's the nature of this creation that um, we're moving back and forth. We're feeling deeply the transcendent, the awareness, the connection, the kind of love that weaves us all together. And then there are those moments where the self kind of reconstitutes itself in a kind of more or less temporarily solid, embattled way. Um, With the practice, we begin to recognize and notice that kind of moving hither and yon from one to the other. And our challenge remains the same. Can we be lovingly accepting of that contracted, embattled self? as much as we kind of enjoy the kind of open connection and tranquility that comes with, that builds with, with practicing. So um, if your conditions are a little more favorable, you may have a little more capacity or ability for tranquility. But the nature of old age, sickness, death, the way the creation is set up, the way it moves through and everything's changing all the time, we will continue to get lots of opportunities to practice, explore, and love ourselves in a contracted state. Um, Just to add a little bit to that, that beautiful response that Pat just gave, just a little bit more on a concrete level, um, you know, because it is difficult because of the expansion contraction, we will be moving fairly soon. We'll be sitting in our cars and, you know, heading home. And um, what can be useful, a couple of things. One is when you are sitting in the car, if you're a passenger or a driver, before you turn the ignition on, actually just to take a few moments to to breathe, to sit, to feel the sensations of sitting here. And again, just this intention to, um, to as much as possible, carry that forth. And then there are things, once you do get home, 
that you can continue to do, and many of you already do this. Um, you know, I think it was Thich Nhat Hanh who said that in modern day, our teacher is the Sangha. So just so important, you know, to connect with others as best you can, um, whether that's through um, sitting groups in your area or um, going on retreats like this again. Pat's, Pat always said, you know, make sure you have another retreat on your calendar. Um, and, um, and now, you know, there's just so much available, so much support available virtually. So if you find yourself in a, in a place where there isn't a lot of sort of physical contact with other practitioners or sanghas, um, there, as you know, there are wonderful resources that one can tap into. And these things, the inspirational books that we read, the CDs, the tapes, the podcast, um, all of these things can really continue to remind us. You know, this is all sort of about reminding us to come back to that, to that wakefulness. Um, so you can explore different resources, and I know that the resource room had some of those for you today, but there's, there's many more out there. There's one suggestion which <clears throat> I always fail pretty miserably at after a retreat, which is to slow down on the transition. Uh, the thing that I'm always surprised at the end of a retreat is how sensitive I become. You know, you've been in a very protected environment, pretty low stimulation, and w- as soon as you get in the car and turn on the radio, it's coming at you. It's like a fire hose coming at you. And to really slow that process down and to really see greed, hatred, and delusion of how quickly the mind will want to get involved in what's going on or how quickly you'll get, get overwhelmed by that stimulation and get into a really strong, aversive place. Or you start believing that the busyness of your life is real and permanent, and you just get sucked right back into it. Any way you can slow the process down a little bit, you you don't have to answer all those emails right away. And you will find that your practice will be deeply informed by your time here on retreat. And you will find that that will begin to that will begin to fade over time. So to really be really be present to the sensitivity that that uh, will most probably be available to you, and to to protect that, find ways to to protect it, and more than that, to really nurture it. This is an important vein to continue a little bit, and one of the uh, one of the Buddha's suggestions was to the best that we are able to guard the senses. And so, in these, as Louisa and Jonathan have mentioned, as we kind of move ahead, but also to consider um, at, as as Tara had mentioned, how much information do we need to be good citizens? How many articles do we need to read? How many periodicals do we How much news do we need to watch? How much time on the Internet, etc.? <clears throat> we know what that does to our nervous system. 
it's an addiction and there's certain effects to causes. If you want a contemplative lifestyle, we have to be aware of certain things and govern our senses a little bit because this culture has its idea what's appropriate for us. So Gary kind of opened the door. This, it was kind of a big question of like, how does it happen? And the elephant in the room always, I, I find in a group like this, is our own daily practice, our non-daily practice, <laughs> whichever it is. And how many of you have been in some way thinking about your daily practice and how it might be? As Yeah, okay. And how many of you in the past felt like in some way that your practice should be a little more different in some way, that it needed a ju- Okay. So we... <laughs> so we, it's, it's, it's a little bit of a charged issue, actually, because it's kind of our um, mirroring for how am I doing in life on a spiritual way. And it'd be great if we could take away that uh, second arrow of evaluating it and just look at it like um, we love to feel loving and awake and how can some daily way of connecting with our own being help us to touch that and what I'd like to offer and I I try to remember to do this whenever I I can is um, my own uh, pact with myself on this one and some of you might find it useful Um, I was uh, you know a very diehard religious practice for hours when I lived in the ashram for, you know, 10 years. I got pregnant, left the ashram, and was with a newborn all at once. So rather than having the support of a community every morning in the same place, I was living somewhere else, and I had a newborn. So my discipline shifted, and it got spotty for a bit, and then I, after a few months, uh, realized that it was, I was really missing it. And so, um, I committed myself to practicing every day, no matter what. Really, no matter what. But the, the caveat, the back door was it didn't matter how long or in what form, <laughs> even though it had to be like a designated formal, like, okay, now I'm practicing. And I, I actually do standing practice more than sitting practice, but um, f- during that time period, there were some many days it would be kind of a trick. Once I could, in those time, days, sit on my cushion, I'd sit down, I'd start settling, and I'd say, I think I'm going to come here for five minutes, and then I'll get back to stuff. I'd end up, you know, sitting for 45 minutes, because once we start settling, there's something in us that gets interested and engaged often. But there were other days that I'd be at the end of the day, and I would just kind of plop down on my bed, but my spine would be tall, and I'd take a few breaths, and I'd feel my breaths, and I'd just offer a prayer, you know, may, may all beings be happy, or whatever it was, and clunk, I'd be out. And that counted. It really did. So I just, there's something in, in nature that loves rhythm, that loves regularity. You can see the cycles in different ways. And there's a real gift to the soul when every single day at some point we're intentional about coming home to what's here you know just 
whatever it is, just with some interest and care, coming home. Hopefully it bleeds through the whole day and really infuses our life. But it really, it creates a rhythm that really, it's kind of a gravitational field. So um, just to sense for yourself what you might be able to commit to and um, let the energy of this retreat be part of that for you. Um, I have a this kind of, I have a question about thinking. Um, uh, I certainly noticed it. I am sure a lot of other people have just thoughts going through the mind and um, building, particularly as we get closer to going home. Um, and I, I guess as I think about it, I have one type of thinking I really enjoy, which is like a little friend who talks me through the day. I think that part's great um, but then there's just kind of the other thinking uh, it's I don't know it could be random could be political could be whatever and I've been trying to apply some of these different approaches um, and somehow they feel almost violent um, towards that process and I, I guess I'm I'm looking for kind of a corpus callosum between my heart and my mind that's a little gentler, maybe. And um, because if I go into the, if I start really getting in the hall of mirrors, then I get so agitated I can go into the body, okay? Or if I try to um, go into the bigger sense of the big mirror of awareness, I, they feel, um, I don't know, pushed or something. So I guess I'm, I'm asking maybe if there's something in the Buddha's big book of lists about um, kind of uh, a way to, like there's intuitive knowing, there's that kind of knowing that just comes up. And I'm wondering if there's a transition kind of to sensing into thoughts. You know, does that help? Is that clear? It's a question, I guess. I'll, I'll stumble you know, along with that one. <clears throat> I think the more, the more we practice self-observation without judgment, the more we begin to recognize that we're actually run by committee. You know, and we can begin to recognize the, the different voices. You know, there's that kind, benevolent, encouraging voice inside. And then there's this cruel, harsh, unrelenting critic. And there's the controller. And there's the child. And the beauty of the practice, I find, is that little by little by little, I begin to believe the voices less. Or I have just a little bit more of a sense of witness, where I can sort of like hear the voice, sort of give it room, thank it for sharing. And that little bit of space can create a big, big change. And just as you're describing, the, the, you're, now that you're able to kind of recognize the voices and kind of distinguish you know, the quality of the different, the different thoughts, there's a huge amount of space in there. And the ultimate practice, of course, is to observe all of that without judgment 
and even beyond that to sense if you can observe that with compassion. But it's like then the doesn't it don't you then notice then the mind says, Oh yeah, I just did that. And then it's there again and it's there again and it's there again. It, it, I guess that's um, this trapped part feeling. Yeah. yeah. It's awful. <laughs> and the recognition of it being unrelenting is very helpful. You know, when you realize that it's a stream. It's an, it's an unending stream of phenomena. You know, it's like standing under a waterfall. You know, this cascade of, of sensations and thoughts and beliefs and stories. And just the recognition of, of the unrelenting quality to it can sometimes create a little bit of space when you realize that it just, it just keeps rolling. I'm kind of reminded of something that Joseph Goldstein would say, that the answer is more sitting. And that would be his answer to every question. <laughs> Does that help? Yes, Thank the, you. The, the stream, that unrelenting stream, that really feels right. And, and, and to remember that it's a two-part practice. It, it's, it's noting what's happening while it's happening. But it's also noting how you're relating to what's happening. And therein lies the difference. Yeah. Thanks. We are going to have to move along uh, if we're going to honor all our commitments today. So these have been great questions. And I know that we could, as we sit here together as contemplative artists that we are, we could cover and explore the whole Dharma, uh, which would be beautiful. And we just, we just don't quite have the time. So on that last note of stream of phenomena in our wholesome intention to come to a better relationship with it all, a more loving relationship, accepting and seeing it more and more deeply, the components and subcomponents of this mysterious and magical life that we have. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.